from VinePair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a VinePair Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of what's going on in the alcohol beverage market. Today, I am really excited to be joined by Giuseppe Gallo, uh, the CEO, owner, founder of Italicus Aperitivo. Giuseppe, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Adam, and hello, everyone. Giuseppe, can you, first of all, where do we find you today? Today, I'm in my lovely office in uh, London, England, but uh, whenever it's possible, I'm trying to be at home in Italy. So thank you again for joining us. I'd love if you could sort of start the conversation by telling us a little bit about Italicus and your background. Yes, of course. I always have been working, breathing, living into the hospitality industry. I'm originally from the beautiful Amalfi Coast, the south side, Salerno, to be more precise. Okay. And um, I studied hospitality. My family has been always involved with the gastronomy world. My mom, she used to make homemade limoncello when I was a kid, and I was sitting next to her and helping her. Oh, wow. And um, at the early age of 20s, I finished my school, and I started to travel uh, to start north of Italy and then different countries in Europe. I've been to U.S. as well, uh, study at Montclair University Hospitality Management. And then I landed in London, U.K. in 2005. And uh, 16 years later, a wife, two kids, and a mortgage. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to move out of U.K. soon. And uh, from you know very humble background, working as a bartender, I became manager of the Sanderson Hotel, which is part of the Morgan's Order Group here in London. Uh-huh. I then joined the uh, Bacardi Global Brands as a Martini Rossi Global Ambassador for almost 10 years. And then in 2015, I started my own consulting company called Eater Spirits. And in 2016, I decided to launch Italicus Rossolo de Bergamotto, the quintessential Italian aperitivo. So where did the idea come from to launch Italicus? It was a combination of factors. The first one, it was uh, I identified that into the alcohol uh, industry, mainly from Italy, there were no super premium aperitif. Interesting. And I always like to look uh, what France did much, much better than Italians, which was, you know, uh, establish a regulate category like cognac or armagnac or champagne and focus very much on uh, building the category and value into it. And looking at the Italian perspective, if you think about the two top brands, aperitif brands, well known across the world, they're both kind of between 10 to $15 per bottle. Yeah. And uh, I said, why? We have so much more to offer from Italy. First of all, we have probably the most powerful brand that any other country has, which is the Made in Italy. Yes, I agree. And when I think about Made in Italy, I think about Ferrari, Ducati, Armani, Dolce Gabbana. And that's that kind of brand, that kind of Italy that I want to export around the world with Italicus. And on top of it, I've been, as I mentioned early on, always involved with some family food making or processing. And I learned the craft how to make limoncello at home with my mom. But my mom, she had a 
also a own recipe made with uh, orange bergamot citrus fruits, which is very characteristic from the southern region of Italy. And it's okay. a specific orange citrus, which is usually harvested across Christmas period, is a winter citrus. And okay. I thought, why not bringing bergamot into the cocktail world? And hear how Italicus, it became a brand. Interesting. So, you know, obviously with aperitivo culture growing around the rest of the world, you know, obviously coming out of Italy, people have started to get to know some of these, you know, these liqueurs. But, you know, one of the things I think was interesting about yours is that most of these liqueurs that America, especially American consumers are getting to know, and I would assume probably British as well, are some hue of red, right? That you have Aperol, you have Campari, as you said, two of the most famous. There's not many that are, or that Americans know of be, as being sort of clear like yours is, or that, that sort of yellowish hue. What was your, you know, did you think about when you were creating the liquid, what color it should be? Were you concerned about Americans sort of recognizing this as a as an, a liqueur that's similar to those in terms of you know its use in aperitivo? And what went into your decision making process as you were creating the, the liquid? Yes, I did absolutely. Uh, we took in consideration all the different factors, starting first of all with the U.S. U.S. most of all is the most important alcohol spirits market in the world. And I always going to say to everybody, if you want to be a true global brand, you must to be relevant in the U.S. market. Right. So we took U.S. in consideration from day one. Number two, also U.S. is the most complex spirits market in the world because of the three-tier system that it doesn't exist any, anywhere else in the world. And therefore, no many of small producers or craft products they're always available in U.S. or they're available everywhere in U.S. And most of the American consumers, they're just familiar with the, the big, uh, more commercial brands, which they have the power and the structure to actually get into the U.S. market. Regarding the color, with Italicus, the aim from the beginning, it was to innovate, it was not to duplicate. And to me, making another red-ish aperitif, it was more like duplicating something, no innovating. And when you're going to look the color of the liquid and the color of the bottle, it was actually a very specific study behind. In Italicus, the main BVI color, brand color, it's inspired by the Amalfi Coast seaside coastline. So this blue turquoise aquamarine. But in reality, when you look at the seaside, the water of the sea, it's green, it's not blue. But when the sea is, is reflecting the color of the sky, it actually becomes blue. So what we did, the bottle, when it's empty, it's green. When you pour the liquid in, it's yellow-ish, yellow-pale. Together, they're making this Italicus blue aquamarine color. So we actually ah, started cool. the way how to achieve the color. Very cool. So in terms of the creation of the liquid, what went into that process? Um, you know, obviously I've never made an aperitivo before. I would assume a majority of the people listening have not. Uh, what was that process like and how long did it take you to basically create the liquid that we now have in the bottle? 
the overall process to make the liquid uh, it took almost two years uh, as it takes sometimes to make one test and second and third that you keep moving and editing and then you need to allow the liquid to rest to marriage together to have a, a proper taste of what the liquid it will it will be as a final result uh, it's impossible to make a fresh liquid and then taste it immediately you always need to give a week two weeks three weeks time before you can taste it and you have to refrigerate it so it was like several several steps to get there but First of all, I was lucky enough because, as I mentioned, working for the Bacardi company uh, with Martini Rossi, in my experience there, in 10 years, we launched seven new products. So I already had the experience how to design, how to craft a liquid with a master distiller. In this case, what I did, I started from an historic recipe. The historic recipe is taken from an historic liqueur book called hmm. Licorista Pratico, only available in Italy. There are only two copies in the world. And I find one copy at the University of Turin. And Amazing. he calls for the Rosolio di Torino, which is believed to be the Rosolio that the first king of Italy was drinking during his royal parties. And oh, he had cool. five key ingredients, five botanicals. Roman chamomile, yellow roses, gentian root, lemon balm, and benissa balm. Out of those five botanicals, I went to the master distiller and I tried to make this, this liquid with tasting the liquid. And guess what? Undrinkable. Undrinkable. <laughs> not balanced. Of course, because <laughs> naive myself, we do not drink, we do not eat as people they used to drink and eat 100 years ago. Right. Back then, they would drink much more sweet. It was much more unbalanced. It was less defined. And I said, of course, so we need to take those five ingredients and rebalance them to start with. Okay. But what is was important, I want to make a liquid that bartenders and mixologists they can work with, that modern consumer they can drink as a simple aperitif at home. Right. And that's how it brought my family experience with a, the orange bergamot fruit to create that overall taste profile that will be appealing for modern consumer. So on top of the five key botanicals from the historic Rosario di Torino, we added the giant cedro citrus from Sicily, rich of lemon oil, and then the top, top notes into the liquid, it's the orange bergamot citrus from the Calabria region in Italy. Uh, okay. So when you were creating the liquid, and this is something that I've always wondered, especially obviously not with a liquid, you know, a, a liquid that we all now know, like a Campari, but because it's a new liquid, and as you said, you wanted it to be used by bartenders and at home mixologists, etc. How much were you not only tasting the liquid on its own, but also mixing it? as you were involved in creating it? Were you already thinking about, huh, this needs to make a good spritz. And so maybe the liquid's great on its own, but I need to taste it with it, you know, in a spritz and on, in a spritz it's not great. So we need to keep changing the formula. How much was that happening? A lot. You're absolutely correct. One of the main mistakes I see in a lot of brands and a lot of new products, they're focusing only on the tasting, the pure tasting of the liquid on its own. 
when you are using a cocktail or your goal is to be using the mixology word, you need to ensure that your liquid, it brings something extra into the cocktail final result. Hmm. Yeah. And I was exactly focusing on that. And the reason why I use the cedar citrus and the bergamot fruit, because they're both rich of essential oils. Have you ever seen when you make your nice vodka or gin martini at home and then you squeeze a little bit of lemon peel, lemon skin on top? Yes. You see all this beautiful lemon oil sitting on top of the dry martini. It's exactly the same process, but in a much bigger way. So those yeah. essential oil, when you're going to add something sparkling with the CO2, and it can be a soda water or it can be Prosecco champagne, all this essential oil, because they're light in weight, they actually brings up to your nose and you have this explosion of flavor in your nose, even before you're going to sip your glass. And that was my ultimate goal, making sure that the liquid I was crafted, it would work in a cocktail, first of all, and not drunk right. on its own. Because I challenge everybody to have a single sip of bitter Campari or Aperol yeah. and say, oh, this is very nice. They are not designed to be drink on their own. They are designed to be mixed in cocktails. And Italicus has the same role. Right. So it can be, but the the ultimate idea is obviously on its own. I mean, sorry, in cocktails. So getting to cocktails, I think what's really interesting is you have, you've developed some cocktails for Italicus that are very different, I feel like, than ones that I've seen before. But the one I want to pick up on, which I'm, I'm sure you might guess, is the one you're doing with IPA. So obviously I don't think a lot of people would think about adding an aperitivo to, to beer. Um, where did that idea come from and why IPA? Very good question. So first of all, the Ipalicus, IPA beer and Italicus, uh, is probably like you know the best combination of my Italian roots and backgrounds with my current English lifestyle. <laughs> because as you know, in England, there is a lot of pubs. So on the weekend, yes. you're going with your family uh, to the pubs with your kids, you know, to the pubs to enjoy a brunch, to enjoy a pint of beer, they're calling in England. And being Italian, I love IPA because you have that kind of like, you know, bitter taste. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Italy, we grew up with the Negronis and Americanos and Spritzes. So we really love this kind of like, you know, bitter taste. And I'm, you know, a huge fan of IPA beers. And I'm there sitting in these beautiful pubs in the garden with my wife. And I have all the small taste and bottles of Italicus because we were still developing the liquid. And I have my, you know, half glass of IPA. And my wife is like, oh, what are you doing there? Like, oh, this is the latest liquid we got. What about you tasting with, uh, with your beer? And I say, no, come on. I don't want to waste it tasting with a beer. <laughs> and she's like, you know, ah, oh, come on, you can try. And, you know, after a few years you married with your wife, you know that you can say no once. <laughs> the second time, so you need to follow <laughs> her request. And I say, okay, fine, let's taste it. I'm pouring this, like, rich, like in a small miniature bottle of Italicus into the IPA. No ice, no mixing, not looking any kind of technicality. And I give it a sip. And, you know, those kind of cocktails where they completely blow your mind immediately. And I give it to my wife, and she's Russian. She tastes it, and she say, wow, this is amazing. 
And from there, I took the cocktail to some friends, which they proper mixologists and bartenders. And I said, do you think uh -huh. this cocktail could work? What can we do? And all of them, they loved the idea. They love to mix beer with cocktails. They're both low ABV. And I say, why yeah. not? Let's see if maybe like, you know, some restaurants, some bars, they can also like, you know, give a different spin to the beer offering or they can give a different spin to the aperitif offering. That's super cool. Does it matter what kind of IPA? So um, obviously, you know, in the US, we have sort of the East Coast, we have the the West Coast, much more bitter. Um, you know, what what do you look for in the IPA when someone would use this for the cocktail? I personally go for more a West Coast style of IPA because they have a little bit more bitter uh, aftertaste, a little bit more hoppy. Uh, so definitely that kind of style. Uh, I wouldn't name one brand or another because I think there is such like a huge range out there. Yes, but totally. I would avoid a soft, milky, honey IPA. I will go for a more a dry, sharp style of bitter IPA. That makes a lot of sense. So obviously, as you've started, you know, the business and you're, you know, we've had COVID in the last year. What have you started doing to come into the American market? And um, what has your what have your strategies been in order to get the brand known stateside? Well, the, I have to say, like, in the first few weeks, if the first month, it was a little bit of panic because uh, uh, Italicus is a very, very much an on-premise brand. So all right. our initial strategy in U.S. and our main focus has been mainly New York State, Florida, California, Texas, and Illinois. It was, hmm. okay. let's work with bartenders. Let's work with mixologists. And then when we starting to open some national account like you know total wine or bevmo in us the covid kicks in <laughs> and they all shut it down so it was a little bit of panicking at the beginning it was not easy uh but uh we managed to actually like you know shift most of our business on e-commerce uh so we're starting to sell more and more online even in us uh in each of those states and then we expanded in other states and the response has been very very positive and uh, I think we've been uh, so lucky that I think we're going to close U.S. about 34% up uh, this year versus previous year, despite oh, the wow. COVID, despite on-premise being closed, and despite the restriction. And I have to say and admit that the bottle design, the story of the brand, they really made a huge difference on online and e-commerce channels. Because that's what consumer they're actually looking for today. They're looking for a brand right. which has a mean for them, has a story, and is a beautiful bottle that they can have at home and they can keep it even for other usage. Yeah, I think the bottle actually, uh, that's, I'm glad you brought up that. I think the bottle is just very striking and I can see it performing very well because of that. Because it, you know most people, as you said... You obviously have bottles that you keep in a cabinet, et cetera, but there are bottles that people keep out in their homes, in the living room, on a bar cart, or maybe on a special spot in the kitchen, on a, you know, a shelf, et cetera. And this is one of those kinds of bottles that really just looks very premium and beautiful. And I think especially against, as you were saying, the, the other aperitivos that we all know, but that are much cheaper and aren't those kinds of bottles that you would necessarily keep out. 
uh, it, it really does stand out. I always like to describe Italicus as uh, uh, the Italian art and poetry in a liquid form. And the bottle had to reflect that kind of vision. It's inspired by the Roman column, as you can see. The color is the coast seaside color of the Amalfi Coast. Uh, this aquamarine turquoise blue. Uh, the cup is black and white with a marble gold inspired by the church of Santa Maria in Novella in Florence, where Rosolio was served back on the second Renaissance. Actually, the logo of Italicus is inspired by the Vitruvian man designed by Leonardo da Vinci in the shape and form of Bacchus, ah. the gods of wine, that instead of harvesting grapes, he starts harvesting pergamon. Every single detail, every single info into the bottle has a reason to be there. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, it, it's it's just, it's really well done. I, I have to say, um, Giuseppe, I was, when I, when I had the liquid, I was very impressed. It plays really well in so many different cocktails. It's, you know, it's an easy sort of sub in for anything that would have citrus, but it sort of gives it a little bit of a elevated lift. I also think in a white Negroni, it's really great. Um, you know, I've, I think for people who haven't had white Negronis before, and you know, you're more of that sort of classic Negroni, it's, it's such a, a nice sort of welcomed change. Um, that's just really delicious. And yeah, I, I'm very excited about this liquid. I think it's going to do really well here in the United States. And congrats to all your success so far. I think you should try in an Italian margarita as well with a tequila ah, and that lime juice. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I usually make it at home. And uh, uh, it gives a very interesting spill off to the classic margarita. And oh. try it just with a Blanco tequila. Simple silver okay. Blanco tequila. Lime juice. Italicus, shake it up and then serve it straight up and try with that. And you will see it works very, very well. Interesting. And for your white Negroni, you recommend olives as the garnish instead of citrus. Why? Always olives because uh, being an aperitivo for Italians means that with your drink, you always have uh, something to eat, a little snack, <laughs> a little nibble. A little snack. Right? <laughs> A little snack. You go to Italy, you go on those little piazza, you order a glass of wine or glass of Prosecco and Negroni, you're going to get your crisps, your olives, your pistachios and some salty stuff. You're always going to get something there. That is the right. aperitivo moment. It's the aperitivo experience. It's about one bite, one sip. One bite, one sip. I love it. That's the joya di vivere from Italy. I love it. And all our cocktails, they're designed with three olives. The spritz, or the Negroni, they all serve it with the three olives. So you have one olives, you have the first sip, so you have a pure taste of the cocktail. Then you eat one olives, and you're adding some saltiness to your taste profile. And you have another sip, and then another olive, and then another sip, and then the last olive, and then the sip, and the cocktail is gone. Amazing. And you have a, a, the quintessential experience of the aperitivo. Amazing. Well, Giuseppe, thank you so much for joining me today. This is really great to learn more about Italicus. Um, and I assume a lot of readers will start seeing it uh, in stores around them. I mean, sorry, a lot of listeners will start seeing it in stores around them very soon. Again, I really want to thank you for your time and congrats. Thank you very much for this opportunity, Adam. 
and I really hope I'm gonna be able to visit America very soon so we can spread the Italicus love. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.